0: You've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Grief and Rebirth Podcast, where we interview grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and people who have inspiring healing stories to share. Our guest today is Michelle Rosenthal, a grief and trauma specialist and healer, who will inspire you with her own amazing story of both healing and helping others to also heal. Michelle is a trauma survivor who struggled with post-traumatic stress disorder, often called PTSD, for over 25 years. After successfully completing her healing rampage several years ago, she now remains 100% free of PTSD symptoms. Michelle now dedicates her professional career to helping survivors, caregivers, and healing professionals learn about the effects of trauma and how to more efficiently navigate the recovery process. She is an award-nominated author, speaker, post-trauma coach, and a trauma recovery specialist whose driving passion is to creatively inspire and intuitively assist Emotional and Spiritual Healing After Trauma. Michelle's books include Before the World Intruded, Conquering the Past and Creating the Future, Your Life After Trauma, Powerful Practices for Reclaiming Your Identity, and Heal Your PTSD, Dynamic Strategies That Work. Michelle, welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast community. Irene! Irene! Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) When you speak to trauma and healing, you are speaking to me, a fellow trauma survivor, as well as to many of our listeners. And it's also nice to know that you and I have a very sunshiny thing in common. We both hail from the east coast of Florida.
1: Yes, we do. Tiny little beach town. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds of
0: waves accompanying us. (laughs) So, Michelle, to begin our conversation today, Could you please define PTSD, tell us about the effects of trauma, and share your own trauma history with us? How did trauma and PTSD change your life? Well, that's a
1: loaded question. Okay, yes, so so I'll start with the back end of that that question, and then we'll get to the PTSD definition and, and the effects of it. So uh, in 1981, yes, you can do the math, I'm over 50 now, but in 1981 I was 13 and I was just a, 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 a well-adjusted kid in a great, loving home. Everything was fine. And uh, at the end of my 13th summer, just before school started, Um, I I had an infection. My mother took me to the doctor and my doctor was away on vacation. It was August, nobody's really around. It's the skeleton crew (laughs) and the covering doctor did not, I, I don't know, I don't know why he didn't look in my chart, but he said, oh, you have an infection, take this medication. And we found out later that had he read my chart, he would never have prescribed that because there were indications that I was allergic to that medication from a previous experience, but nobody had told my parents that. They had noted it, but not disclosed it. So so I took this this general antibiotic that people take every day, and I had uh, the most bizarre response to it. This happens to one in two million people, so it's pretty rare. It's called Toxic Epidermal Necrolysis Syndrome. Essentially what happens is the body cannot metabolize the foreign substance and it sends it out through the skin. So oh I became God. almost overnight a full body burn victim inside oh my and God. And there's nothing to do for this. Today, in 1981, they didn't have a clue. Everybody just, I was in a teaching hospital in New York City and I became, you know, the zebra you know, the most bizarre thing on the floor, and everyone came and took pictures and wrote papers, but today they know more, and and they immediately put patients with this into a coma, and they don't bring you out until it's over, which I think maybe I could have avoided PTSD if that had been the case. I don't know, because it's still pretty horrific when you come out, but... Um, But for me, being 13, surrounded by a bunch of adults who didn't know what was going on, there was no way to save me from what was happening. I had a near-death experience, and having your skin essentially head-to-toe ripped off of you while you're awake is torture. Oh, my God. So by the time I got out of the hospital, I knew I was going to make a full physical recovery. Do I have scars? Yes. Were they going to impact my life on a day-to-day basis? Not in any way that would make a life unlivable. So, but, but I knew right away, I mean, I was not the same girl that had gone into the hospital. Of course hospital. not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I was pretty, pretty overwhelmed. You know, trauma, well, let's, let's define trauma as we move into the PTSD part of this. Trauma's basic definition is any experience that feels less than good. So I do keynotes all over. And every time I speak, I ask the audience, has anyone had an experience that's less than good? And, you know, every hand goes off because every life has that in it. So that's, you know, little T trauma happens to all of us. Big T trauma happens to some of us. And big T trauma is defined as any experience that overwhelms your ability to cope. So by the time my hospitalization had ended, I'd had a near-death experience and all of this torture, and I was definitely overwhelmed in my ability to cope. Wow.
0: Can, I I have to ask you about your near-death experience. Did you see people? Did you, did someone tell you you had work to do? Was there anything?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, nobody told me I had work to do. Uh, My mother actually called me back, so... Um, she was pretty insistent, and I responded to her. So you were um, going? I, yeah, I was going, and I was so excited. Irene, mean, I wanted to die. I wanted to die so badly, and getting to the other side was this pure, incredible energy that I had never experienced and, and didn't understand, but it was amazing, and and I knew exactly who I was, and I I felt the presence of other souls. They they were there. I don't remember seeing specific people so much as I felt the presence and could hear them. And um, and and then the big overarching energy that was holding. I felt held, like we were all held. And um, and so I was very pleased. I I I was very ready to go. And my mother my mother was not having it. <laughs> I can kind of, I can kind of relate to that emotion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from your experience, you know, you know exactly what
0: I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me ask you this one. Um, you struggled with PTSD for almost 30 years and you affectionately call your recovery process a healing rampage. Tell us about this. And how in the world did you get your recovery on track to achieve a hundred percent recovery? Wow,
1: yeah, well, I clawed my way out <laughs> that's what i that's how I would describe it. I was in a very dark, deep pit, and I clawed my way out of every inch of it. It was not easy, but here's uh here's the the fortunate thing about where we are today in society versus nineteen eighty one so let's put this into perspective so Within four weeks after a major big T trauma, most people go through what we call acute stress. So you may have nightmares, you may have mood swings, you may have all kinds of disturbances in your daily routine, your ability to focus or concentrate. But most people, after four weeks, that resolves. They start to, you know, the, the mind starts to understand how to categorize that experience, what to do with it, and to put it into the place that it belongs in life. So it becomes a smaller part of the bigger identity. With PTSD, these symptoms, and there are four major categories of symptoms for PTSD. We have mood swings, where you're persistently in a negative perspective. We have a raised awareness, so you're hypervigilant about everything. And that also tends to include being a control freak, which I, I, I you know, first one to say that was me.
0: Can I say that? Can I ask you? So would that mean that a lot of people with control issues don't know that they've been traumatized, and that's the way they've reached out to cope with that?
1: Well, I, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, so I don't know that all control issues. There are a lot of different mental illnesses and diagnoses, so I won't say they all start with trauma if they have control elements. But, um, but I would say that needing c- control is a hallmark of survivorship. Survivors need two things, safety and control. Oh, interesting. And the four categories of symptoms are usually focused around that. The mood swings, when we don't feel safe. When we see the world persistently in a negative way, it's due to what we've learned from the trauma that we experienced. The hypervigilance is I'm always on the lookout. What's the next thing coming? You know, not me now, but back then. Um, We have re-experiencing where you just, you keep thinking about it over and over, and that can be in the form of nightmares. I had the same recurring nightmare for years. And then the fourth area of symptoms is avoidance, where you can't go near the topic. You won't talk about it. I literally used to fly into a rage if anyone brought it up because I felt so overwhelmed by it all. So it's avoidance of language. It's avoidance of the physical space of where you were. It's avoidance of smells, of taste, anything related to the senses. And PTSD is diagnosed. When those four categories of symptoms and all their little sub symptoms in each category persist for longer than four weeks and disrupt your ability to be in the world personally, professionally, socially. So that's the overview of PTSD. And in 1981, when I started exhibiting these symptoms pretty much immediately, Uh, And then after the first four weeks, they got worse instead of better. Um, PTSD had only become a clinical diagnosis in 1980. So this was just the next year. And it was really only being applied to Vietnam veterans. So no one was looking at a civilian kid with medical trauma and saying, oh, this is classic PTSD, which, you know, you would hope somebody today that would occur to them. But it took 24 years for me to find a trauma-trained therapist, because I needed somebody who understood the context of that, whereas I, you know, by the time I got into therapy, it was not with someone who understood trauma. And so I, I spent a lot of time in therapy getting worse instead of better with somebody oh who gosh. didn't really understand what we were dealing with. Wow.
0: How did you find this trauma-trained therapist? Was it someone who was recommended to you? Because it was, that was a new thing going on then.
1: Research. 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 And I didn't, I didn't find her until the early 2000s. Wow, Because I really didn't understand what was wrong with me. And um, it wasn't until this is how my healing rampage started, because I was in talk therapy for five years, getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. I was completely non-functional. I had to quit my job. I mean, I was a mess. And it occurred to me, uh, I'm going to, oh, I was a mess. And I got a very bad diagnosis. I was in my late 30s. And I was diagnosed with advanced osteoporosis. Oh, my God, and, Michelle. I know, right? Oh. Like, I didn't have enough problems. But oh. physical, physical issues, health issues are very common with PTSD. The stress on your body and how it what, like the, chemical, the chemicals that you need, it changes the balance of your biology, your neurobiology, all of that. Um, and, and specifically for me, it, uh, you know, it led to an eating disorder which is very, 50% of all eating disorders are driven by trauma. And so when you don't eat right, your body leaches calcium from your bones, for example. And the next thing you know, you're 35 and you have advanced osteoporosis. So, which I've reversed now, by the way. So very cool. What can happen when you heal? But the thing is that when I got this diagnosis, the doctor literally said to me, Nisha, if you do not, fix this with your bones, your, they will spontaneously crumble within 10 years. And I thought, oh my God, I, I'm, I'm in bad shape here. And that terrified me. And it really, that was my rock bottom moment. I think every healing rampage starts with a rock bottom moment. That was mine. And it made me really start to take responsibility for my recovery, which I never had. I showed up every week to therapy. But I expected my therapist to do the work, and it was just my job, it was like just lucky that I got to that session, you know. But after that diagnosis, I started doing research, and the research led me to PTSD, and I took this self-test, it had 22 questions, and I answered positively to 20 of them. And this self-test was based on the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. So. I took this self-test to the therapist I was working with, and I said, you know, do you think part of the problem here is that I have PTSD? And I kid you not, it's 2004 or five, and he says to me, what is PTSD? Oh, wow. And that is how I found my trauma-trained therapist, because it was really clear to me that I was in trouble. I was not working with the right person, and I started researching trauma and trauma psychology, and And PTSD, and the more I researched, and I'm an education fiend. I love to learn, so I researched trauma psychology from when it started in the late 1800s all the way to 2005. And what became really clear was I needed a trauma-trained therapist, and so I looked you know, online to find one and there happened to be one in the town where I live by the beach. Oh, and what a
0: coincidence.
1: I, yeah. Right. And she lived not far from me. She was right. She was just like three blocks away and I went and she set me straight and, and, and that got me going. So it was, it helps to be held in a space that knows and understands what's happening to you.
0: I've had a similar experience when I was, when I went to heal my own trauma. So I completely relate to what you're saying to me. I'm so glad for you that you got to this and look at how you're paying it forward. Look at how many people you're helping on the other end of this. Wow.
1: That's the beauty, right? Of what you and I and others like us can do to, I feel like all of us, you know how elephants walk in a line and they each hold each other's tail with their (laughs) teeth. That's the, like, I'm holding on to the tail of somebody who went before me. And you can hold
0: on, on to, to my tail anytime, Michelle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just, I feel like we all are in this line That's of connection. Right. And we pass on what we learn to those coming behind, and we hope that the people in front of us pass on to us so that we can all, you know. My my overall mission is to help people heal faster than I did because to lose almost 30 years of your life oh my to something gosh. entirely treatable is
0: ridiculous. Unbelievable. And you know who I really have to send many kudos to? Your, your parents. It had to be so hard for them to watch okay. you suffer. And they, they, they must have felt so helpless.
1: Uh, That is very true. My mother moved into the hospital with me. She was there 24-7. I had a younger brother. So my father, um, for the first week of my hospitalization, my father went home to take care of him. And then they placed him with one of my mom's best friends. And my father moved into the hospital with us. So they were there 24-7. My father took care of everything outside of the room. (laughs) and My mother took care of everything inside my room.
0: Wow! They were an incredible team. You are really fortunate to have them that way because a lot of people aren't blessed with that kind of a support network.
1: That is very, very true. It happens to be one of the reasons that I am less scarred physically than most survivors of this trauma. I don't look like a burn victim. I mean, from what you can see, I have scars that are not visible, but um, I, I work now with, there's a hospital that refers children who survived this to me and so I've worked with them and and I've been in touch with a lot of survivors of this illness and it's it's not an easy thing to come out looking like yourself so I it's because of my parents that that happened wow
0: wow what a blessing you can relate to them my uh, my appreciation for what how they helped you because you're (laughs) (laughs) true um You're a certified professional coach, a certified hypnotist, and a master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming, which I'm sure people would like to know exactly what that is. Um, How do these modalities help you coach survivors to access their healing potential? And I think you also work with people on a spiritual level also. So could you, like, give us a little, like someone who is listening to us today, how do all these skills that you have help them? And... And, and 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 how the how do they access that or you know just tell me about your journey with all of that
1: yes so it's really interesting by the time so i went on this healing rampage it started with a trauma trained therapist but the thing that i got very clear on within the first few sessions with her was i was done talking about my trauma it talking and talking and talking about it was why i was in such a bad state because there's no resolution talking about it does not change it and the your heart is feeling one thing, and your head is thinking another thing, and your conscious mind is analyzing one thing, and your subconscious mind is understanding another thing. And it was just a big free-for-all mess. And what I decided, the more research I did, the more I understood that healing really takes place in the body and in the subconscious mind and in the heart. It does not take place in the brain in terms of being able to just I understand what happened and I'm going to be done with it. It doesn't work like that. So uh, I used 11 different modalities in my recovery process. Wow. I know. I did, I, I, it's funny because it sounds like I did the alphabet. I did CBT, TFT, EFT, TAT, EMDR. I mean, I did all of that stuff and it was not freeing me. And I was very clear. All of that stuff was helping me get better. I became functional. I could go back to work. I was not a complete basket case. So it did something. But my healing rampage had a very clear healing intention. And I work with all of my clients this way. What is your healing intention? Because you will only achieve what it is you intend to achieve. My intention was 100% freedom from these symptoms. And that, I was not going to stop at anything less. That was the goal. That was what the rampage was about, getting there. And I have other clients who don't feel that way. And I, I, it's, everybody has to decide what their own intention is. I have some clients that come and they say, just stop the nightmares and I'm fine with the rest. Or just make it so I can sleep and, and I'm okay. I can deal with the hypervigilance. And, and that's fine. Everybody's healing intention is their own journey. Um, but mine was freedom. And what I noticed was, no matter how many letters were in the alphabet, I was not free. So I, I, I reached this point of, I did two things. So it's, it's December 2006. And it's New Year's Eve. And you know, you know Palm Beach in Florida. So you know the, the big hotel, The Breakers. Right. And it's a very fancy, very international crowd. And because we live nearby, my, my family went for New Year's Eve. And it was my brother and my parents and I. And this huge party, everybody's dressed up and having a great time. There's a great band and balloons and confetti and everything. Everybody's smiling and laughing. And I am in a stall of the ladies' room, sobbing my eyes out. Oh, my god. Because another year is ending, and I'm just as lost. I'm just as a mess. I'm just as desperate. I'm just as depressed. In fact, I've reached a depth of despair I didn't think I'd ever be able to come out of. And I'm facing another year of the same. And so this was like my second rock bottom moment. And as I look back on my healing rampage, the, those rock bottom moments are pure diamonds. They are the most amazing things in the end. So I pulled myself together. I go back out to this party. I grab my brother's hand and I say, just dance with me. I just, I don't know, something in me just needed to not have to pretend I was okay and talk to everybody. I needed to just like be able to be on the, the dance floor and just get it out. I love to dance. I had always loved to dance. And I mean, the most bizarre thing happened on the dance floor. I'm freestyling. My brother and I have been freestyling together since we were kids. He's three years younger, we're super close. So we're dancing. And a little while into it, I start to feel this feeling that I don't recognize. And I'm very aware that I sort of feel lighter and I feel transcendent and I feel open and I feel happy. And and it's a very, it's a very bizarre feeling and it's unfamiliar. And I... I'm curious. I like to keep an open mind. So I breathe into it and then I try to examine what is this? What 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 would I name this feeling? And it takes me, I kid you not like 20 minutes of dancing to realize this little part of me stands up and says, This is joy. <laughs> joy? I never thought I could feel joy. So it became very interesting to me. And we danced, and I and all of a sudden I understood that joyful part of me isn't dead. All this time I've thought. I had a limit on what my emotions could be. Blackness, sadness, loss, grief, guilt, shame, fear, all of those toxic, disturbing, low vibration emotions. I thought that's where I had to live. But this one moment taught me there was something else still alive in me. So in the spirit of resolution of that year, uh, I made the resolution I was going to dance every day, every day, and that I was going to heal by the end of that year. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because healing happens in the body and the mind. It's, it's, they both have to come together. And I didn't know that then. But I did go, and I signed up. And, you know, I'm, in, I'm from New York City. I mean, you know this. So in my head, at first it was like dance every day. That'll be easy. There's a club open every night. And then I remember, I've just moved to a tiny beach town. There's yeah, you're in sleepy uh, Palm Beach. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but they do have dance studios. So I signed up every day at a dance studio for a different dance. So Monday nights was West Coast Swing. Tuesday nights was Salsa. Wednesday nights was East Coast Swing. Thursday night, Argentine Tango. I mean, I signed up every day of the week. And no matter how I felt, how lousy, how unworthy, how less than, how tired, how depressed it didn't matter, I went just so that I could practice getting in touch with that part of myself that felt good about being me and felt good about something and who I was and felt good about being alive because I spent most of the time feeling like I didn't deserve to be alive. So this was an interesting transition for right. me and a very interesting thing happened. I started to sleep better. The nightmares. Started to change and I started to get a little more courageous about healing. And I took a break while I started dancing. I'm I'm just gonna dance. I wasn't going to try to heal and dance at the same time. So it took about six months of dancing, during which time I fell in love with my dance partner. So go awesome. figure that you could be a complete mess and meet your soulmate. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. um, But six months later, I felt stable enough and courageous enough to go back into the healing rampage part of things. And this is where we come full circle to your question. At that point, I was really clear. No more talking about it and no more processes that make me have to revisit it. So I went to hypnosis, which I didn't believe in, but I just wanted somebody else to do the work so that I could just be quiet and have someone tinker and fix it. And after my first, so I interviewed seven hypnotists because I'm a control freak and I don't trust. (laughs) And in that PTSD state, it was hard to give myself over. Um, But I chose one that I felt aligned with enough to say, okay, well, let's give it a shot. The whole session, I thought it was the most bogus, stupid, waste of money. That night I slept eight straight hours without a nightmare. Wow. Wow. That was seven more hours than I usually slept every night. So after that, I was sold. And when I got out of my recovery, because by the end of 2007, by October 2007, so it had taken me 10 months since that first night of dancing, by October, the middle of October, I was free. And I didn't know what to do with myself. And so... My brother said to me, well, you've been a writer since you were seven. So why don't you just write about what you just experienced? There's this thing called a blog. Why don't you try it? And at that time, I'd never heard of a blog. So I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. And to make a long story short, uh, the blog went viral. I was writing about my personal experience with PTSD, but what we discovered, and I'm sure you know this from your own experience. We're all individual in our traumas and our healing process, but we're completely universal in the space in between. So in that moment, everything sort of blew up and people wanted me to start helping them. So I got trained in the modalities that I loved and that I felt helped me the most. And that was hypnosis, which we all know, you're in an altered state that allows um, your subconscious mind to engage in the healing process. The analytical mind, what we're in right now, short-term memory, analytical, rational, it's, it's, that's all it is. It understands the difference between past, present, and future, but it's only 12% of your brain. The subconscious mind is 88% of your brain, and it is not rational. It is not analytical. Right. It's long-term memory, and it has no concept of time. So everything is real time. And it only, it doesn't speak English like you and I do. It speaks in story and image and metaphor. So it's a very different process to work with that part of yourself. So I got trained that way because I love being able to work in that way because it's so gentle. I never have to have any of my clients revisit their trauma. We never need to in order to heal. And neuro-linguistic programming, neuro meaning the brain, Linguistic, meaning language, and reprogramming, meaning we can use language to reprogram the brain. All of your memories are held in neural neural pathways. The neural structure of your very brain holds and records everything. Now, if it's holding and recording those moments of terror and they're constantly being activated, well, those, those moments are at the forefront of how your brain is processing, but we can actually sever those neural pathways with language. I mean, you don't feel it, but it sure is a relief when it's done. And then we reprogram with new neural pathways so that you can remember what happened to you, but with complete neutrality. So I can talk to you today about what happened to me when I was 13, whereas when I was 13, I I would have a complete meltdown if you asked me to talk about it. So very gentle and actually really fun healing processes because we're using language and working with the way your brain works rather than working against how your brain works and just activating all of those bad feelings and then and then what happens you're in a session with your therapist and time is up right and you're told well that's all the time we have for today and you're left with all of that which is one of my biggest pet peeves <laughs> so so i decided to construct a different kind of process for from the people that i work with so that we always finish what we're in the middle of we do it in a gentle way and i have a five-phase process that everybody moves through that i've developed that that is geared to build a foundation first so that the rest of the work unfolds as holistically and gently as possible
0: do you do do you help people to heal from a distance also do you do it via so anyone anyone can contact you and work with you no matter where they are in the world or whatever
1: i i've been doing that since 2009 i started online it only came later that i decided i would also like to see people in person originally and for the first years my my sole business was online bali france spain england wow um, canada and of course the whole united
0: states so yes that's amazing you say that the importance of healing lies in reconnecting to our true sense of self. How does trauma disconnect us from our sense of self? And how do we reconnect to and leverage it to create success and recovery?
1: I think that's my favorite question, I mean.
0: I'm so honored that I asked you your favorite question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because I think, well, so let's just start with trauma teaches us lies and distorts our perspective and our perception, and because we're so shocked by what has happened to us, and we don't think clearly, we accept what we think is the quote-unquote truth of what we've been through, and that's the first way that trauma disconnects us from the truth of who we are, so I'll tell you a story just to illustrate this, so... During my, my trauma, I wanted to die so badly. And when that near death experience began, and I was aware of what was happening and very compliant and complicit in the process, so relieved that I was dying and, and so happy to give up the struggle. And later, I, to be called back. It was very hard for me to come back into my body, and it was very hard for me to leave that place that was so, just felt so good. Like, I belonged there, and I don't belong here, is how I felt. And, um, and, and I was very clear that, well, I, I should say, I was very clear in my distorted trauma thinking that because I had wanted to die, I did not deserve to have lived.
0: Oh, so wow. I,
1: yeah, it was a pretty distorted belief. And it impacted the way that I lived. If you don't think you deserve to be alive, think about how you treat yourself. Think about how you let other people treat you.
0: Well, and, I mean, I, I look at the whole thing of how you healed and all is like you finally, and when you were dancing, and and uh, all of a sudden felt that joy for the first time. I think you really tuned into self love.
1: I, I mean, and I care. I, I, yeah. I totally agree, and I don't even know why it happened then, except I wanted so desperately to be well. So I was so in tune with that desire at that point, whereas for a long time I resisted that desire. And, and so, so trauma disconnects us from the truth of who we are because it fragments us. We break into so many shattered pieces Our belief system about the world is completely shattered. What we thought was true, who we thought we could count on, what we thought would be protective of us, all of the beliefs that we had get, you know, really completely disintegrated on many levels in terms of how we see ourselves, others, and the world. And then in these beliefs, we We change what we think about ourselves and how we see ourselves, and so we disconnect from the true, this is how I describe it, it's the true who, right? The who that you are becomes completely disconnected from how you live every day, and and disconnected to a point that you don't even realize it still exists. And of course it's still there. It's it's your true who. It's the true who that you are always underneath everything. And I describe it to my clients as you were standing there one day and the universe just dumped this entire load of garbage on you. So you, no one can see you under all of that garbage, not even you. But the truth is you can claw your way out of that garbage. And when you emerge, you're going to be full of crap but you can be cleaned up and the the you that was there all along is still going to be there. So it's a matter of reconnecting to it.
0: That's beautiful. I
1: love that. Which is leading me to
0: my favorite question to ask you, which is you say courage is a choice. Can you talk to everyone about that? Because I think that just opening up to want to love yourself enough to want to heal. Yes. It just takes so much courage.
1: Yes. Well, I will be completely transparent, full disclosure here. That was not my original idea. <laughs> so, um, that came, my mother told me that.
0: Actually. Wow. What a blessing she is.
1: Yeah. My mother told me that when she called me back and when I tried to resist and told her that I just, you know, I came back far enough to be able to talk to her, even though I was still resisting coming all the way back in, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and, and I just said, I, I can't do this. I'm, I said, I love, I, I said to her, thank you. I love you. I'm dying. And I was happy about that. And she challenged me to come back. And when I said, no, I can't do this, she put her face next, you have to understand, my mother is five foot one, and she's Southern. And she hadn't slept in weeks. So her Southern drawl, even though we'd been in New York for a long time, comes out when she's tired. <laughs> and she had <laughs> these big black eyes, and she put her face real close to mine, and she said to me, Michelle, courage is a choice. Make it. And you know, you're 13, and you love your mother, and she gives you a directive, you go if you can, you follow through. <laughs> <laughs> I love your mother. She's amazing. She is amazing. She's really incredible. Oh, my God. And, and so that's where courage as a choice came from. And I always remembered that because there were so many times over the years of my destructive behavior um, that I had to remind myself, and certainly during my recovery, courage is a choice. And ultimately, Irene, I'll tell you what. Everything about healing is a choice trauma is change you don't choose healing is change you do choose and so being very intentional in those choices is the backbone of how healing happens and courage is one of those choices that's wonderful
0: share with us how healmyptsd.com was born and how it led to partnering with survivors to help them take back their power and learn to live with courage, confidence, and imagination.
1: Right. So that little blog that I started, <laughs> um, that with, within three weeks, and I, you know, I didn't think anyone would understand what I was talking about since my trauma was so rare. But within three weeks, the most amazing thing happened. It started with veterans. And this is, these are veterans of every war, from World War II to the Korean War, Vietnam, Iraq veterans started writing to me how do you know how I feel or how did you just put into words what I've been trying to say for 15 years and I started writing back to them saying I don't know I don't know how I know how you feel I'm just saying how I feel with PTSD and it, it started very interesting dialogue and, and, and it's, that's how this little blog went viral because then it was car accident survivors rape survivors, domestic violence survivors, child abuse survivors, everyone started coming to the blog and talking. And what they really needed at that time, there were no civilian PTSD websites. every And I can tell you that for sure, because I'd spent two years researching PTSD during my recovery, and I had a really hard time, because they were all clinical sites, and I, I had to look up half the words, I couldn't focus or concentrate, so it was very hard to read these big clinical descriptions. And so when everyone kept asking me for more information based on how I was blogging, where did I understand that from? Where did I get that from? I decided, you know what, I'm gonna take all of this clinical stuff, I'm gonna cite references, and I'm gonna write it in English so that lay people can understand it. So that survivors and their families and their friends and their colleagues can get a grip on what's happening. And that's how healmyptsd.com was born. It was a place for information and awareness. And from there, I invited, I mean, I continued to blog from my experience and the research that I was doing, but then I did some interesting things because I wanted a a universal global perspective. So I entered, I I did an interview, I, I invited survivors who were seeing progress in recovery to submit to the blog, so they shared. So we had real survivors talking about healing games. Fantastic. Then I invited professionals in the healing field to blog and to contribute to the website about how they were seeing healing happen. And then I launched a podcast, and I interviewed all of the top recovery experts. Neurologists, neuropsychologists, trauma experts, everyone from Bessel van der Kolk all the way down. And they all, I mean, these archives are free. They're on the site. The only PTSD is now, 10 years later, a, a site that has an enormous amount of information all geared toward understanding what you feel, why you feel it, and how to heal it. Why? Wow, that's
0: fantastic. I mean, it's so admirable what you've done uh, with your life. Uh, and how you've turned, I mean, you truly are living, turning the lemons into lemonade.
1: I think we're called, right? I mean, like you're doing what you're doing. We come through these things, and you know, you can get lost in the why me, but I think that's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, what now? And when you ask yourself, what now? You get the answer. There's always some impulse. And if you honor the impulse, you will be led to the thing that's meant to come out of the moment that you're here. You're absolutely right. Because
0: for me personally, this is exactly what's happened to me by launching this podcast. We are helping so many people. And that's why I wanted to have you on because we're, we're all part of this whole universal story and we can all help each other and help so many people how do our listeners who are chomping at the bit to reach you? How do they reach you? And tell us. And and if you have a an offer to make or something you want to say to them,
1: um, go for it, girl. Uh, awesome. Okay, so here's here's my idea. Um, we've talked about a healing rampage. So I have. Uh, it depends on you know what somebody's ready for. So uh, you can find me at HealMyPTSD.com. Certainly visit us there if you want more information. We have some really great information for survivors, but also for families. Um, just to understand, because survivors usually feel very isolated and misunderstood. And I, I did a whole graphic about 10 things that you need to know <laughs> about your loved one with PTSD, so it's a great thing to share if you're a survivor, to share with family and friends, so they sort of get grounded in a little bit of the logistics of what you're going through. Um, You can also find me at mytraumacoach.com, and it's there that I offer uh, a few things. So it really just depends what you're in the mood for. Number one, I do have a cheat sheet for starting your own healing rampage. So if that's something that interests you, you can just hop onto to mytraumacoach.com and shoot me an email with the subject line Rampage, and I will send you this little document to get you started. It's very concise, and it's very laser. It's like a little laser map for what you're doing on a daily, daily basis. There's also, um, I have a, an ebook, book 19 Ways to Reduce Symptoms of Stress. So I love having options for getting that job done. So you can download that right on the site. I also offer a free assessment about how these symptoms are impacting your life and getting you on the road to fixing them. That's 20 minutes with me, totally free. Oh my God,
0: what a blessing. Anyone could really talk with you, get to know you and and to do that as an introduction. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, I just feel like, you know, it's all about the connection, I mean. So, um, so that is at mytraumacoach.com forward slash toxic. So if you're feeling like you're carrying a lot of toxic emotions, hit that page and we will start getting you on the path to releasing them. That's wonderful. And finally, what is Michelle
0: Rosenthal's tip of, if anyone would know, what is your tip for finding joy in life?
1: Oh. Huh. Hmm. Okay. So, for each of us, that's different, right? So, my tip is to experiment, because there is no one thing for everyone. We're so individual. For me, it was a dance floor. For me, it continues to be a dance floor. I I fell in love, I'm still to get today. I mean, this man is incredible. He loved me through my PTSD and my recovery. He is my partner on the dance floor still. We go dancing every weekend. He's partnered my partner off the dance floor. He's, my, he's everything in my life now. So when you stumble on the thing, you know that it's right. Um, but, but I didn't, you know, it takes a lot to do that. I moved from one city to another thinking that would bring me joy. I thought if I could just get out of New York City and get to a beach town, everything would be fine. And you know the quote, wherever you go, there you are. Well, I didn't understand what that meant until I like, lived it. So that little experiment of moving to try to feel better didn't help. But I think we have to experiment and just keep trying. I tell all of my clients, it's one of the challenges that I give them, find the thing that makes you feel good and do it every day, even if it's just for 30 seconds. So I, I was just talking to a client this morning. She just loves to garden, and she never thought about that before, but There's something about getting her fingers in the dirt that makes her feel that transcendent, peaceful thing. I have another client who loves to ride his wave runner. He'll just like, if he can get out on the ocean and just spend hours feeling the wind and the sun and the water on him, that's his joyful place. So I think it's important to experiment to find your joy. And once you find it, feed it. That's beautiful. Thank you, Michelle. This has just been
0: a wonderful interview. I'm really, I'm really grateful uh, that, you've, that you're here with us. And I know that we're going to connect many more times uh, awesome. through this community and all. You've shared tons of insights with us, tons of wisdom, and you are fond of hope and inspiration. I have no doubt that many of our listeners will check out healmyptsd.com after listening and for sure they are all resonating with this interview. Thank you from all our hearts. Thank and as you I much. like to, oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And as I like to say to be continued.
1: Ah, definitely. I am with you there. For <laughs> Thank sure. you.
0: Thanks to you. the next interview on the beach. Hey, that's a great idea. It's <laughs> it's uh, we, we'll make a date on that.